To you I lift up my eyes, to you enthroned in the heavens. As the eyes of servants look to the hand of their masters, and the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, until he shows us his mercy. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy, for we have had more than enough of contempt, too much of the scorn and of the indolent rich and of the derision of the proud. It's my uh, pleasure this morning to uh, introduce a dear friend of mine. David, would you come forward? My friend uh, David Ritchie um, is someone I've known for almost 20 years, and David is the lead pastor of Redeemer Christian Church in Amarillo, Texas, a church which he helped replant uh, 12 years ago, um, and he and his family are here with us, Kate and their three boys, so be sure to say hi to them. Uh, David is someone that I love, uh, respect, um, talk to about all kinds of manner of nerdy things, and uh, he's a kindred spirit, and I'm happy to share him with you. Can I pray for you before you preach? Please do. And would you like this little doodad? Sure. Okay. Why don't you move it over and I'll pray for you. Let's pray for David. Lord, I thank you for my friend. I thank you uh, for the, this chance to share him um, with this church that, that I love and serve. And I pray, um, Lord, that the words of his mouth and the meditations of his heart would be pleasing to you and that you would open our hearts to what it is that you would say to us uh, through him this morning. Bless him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It really is a deep privilege to be able to be with you this morning, and I bear you greetings from your brothers and sisters in Christ from Redeemer Christian Church in Amarillo, Texas. Um, it is a privilege for my family to come worship with you all. It's special because I, I remember distinctly praying for this parish before it existed, um, when a cadre of people were being sent forth from All Saints Church in Dallas, and my dear friend Chris being one of those um, to go forth, I, I remember praying for this and to be able to be in this moment to see your faces really is a privilege and a wonder. And so thank you for receiving me. Thank you for receiving my family and allowing us to, to worship with you on this Sunday morning. My wife and I have three sons. They are 11, 9, and 8. It is a really fun stage of parenthood. Um, things are really fun. Things can also get out of hand really quickly with three boys. Um, but they are wonderful, and it's been a joy to, to be able to watch them grow. Um, even though this is such a fun stage where we can do fun things together, I, I do at times miss those moments of, of them being babies, of them being infants, and, and watching those first things happen, um, those first nights as they lay asleep in our home, those, those first steps that they would take, and especially those first words that were spoken, those first, first moments where they're able to actually establish some type of communication between parent and child. And, and in fact, watching a child learn and acquire language is something that is almost magical. It is amazing to, to see this mystery unfold. And, and there is a mystery to it. Um, a lot of times we don't understand how it works. But one thing we do intuitively seem to grasp is, is this one central truth that we learn to speak by being spoken to. As infants, we once heard words that our parents spoke to us and over us long before our lips and tongues and voices could ever master those distinct sounds and concepts. Yet as time progressed, we learned to mimic them. 
We used to mimic monosyllabic sounds and words. We learned to imitate intonation and inflection. And while absorbing the implicit grammar and logic of language, we, we began to communicate. We began to imitate those words that were spoken to us and over us. And so, too, prayer really is, I think, best understood as a type of language. For many, it's a language that might appear foreign to you or scary to you. It might be intimidating to speak a language such as prayer. But I want to encourage you that in the same way we learn to speak, we also learn to speak the language of prayer. We hear the words of prayer, as we did just now. We imitate the words of prayer of those who have gone before us, those who have spoken prayer over us. And with enough exposure and practice, we will find ourselves speaking our own words of prayer with our own fluencies and flourishes. It's one of the reasons I have such a deep appreciation for the Anglican tradition. It really is a, a beautiful tradition that values collective prayers that have been spoken over centuries and echo through generations of time. But before the Archbishop Cranmer ever put pen to page and penned those original words of the Book of Common Prayer, the people of God throughout time have had this really long tradition of rehearsing prayers of our forebears. Indeed, the book of Psalms for centuries was essentially just that. It was the first ever book of prayer, and still today it occupies a vast majority of the pages in our prayer books. Our reading from the Psalms was Psalm 123. And if you notice, it's a very short psalm. It's not the most famous. It's not the most memorable. But nevertheless, it is a part of God's inspired words spoken to us, spoken over us. It's a psalm that's meant to be sung and meant to be prayed, participated with with our own voices, just as we corporately prayed this psalm responsively a few moments ago. It's a psalm that if we pay attention to it, despite its brevity, has much to say and convey and even impart to us about the language of prayer. So for the rest of my time with you this morning, I'd like to explore three truths of prayer that I feel like we can pull from this beautiful psalm. We're going to talk about the theology of prayer. We'll talk about the posture of prayer. And finally, we'll talk about the hope of prayer. So point number one, the theology of prayer. The psalmist begins with the words in verse one, Unto thee I lift up mine eyes, O thou that dwellest. In the heavens. Encased in this very simple sentence is an entire theology of prayer. The psalmist looks in prayer toward his Lord and toward his God who dwellest in the heavens. This God is neither confined to or constrained by earthly constrictions or limitations. He is a God whose name is I am who I am. He is the God who is contingent upon absolutely nothing, yet is the creator of everything. He is the one in whom we live and move and have our being. Yet despite God's unmatched power and glory, the psalmist nevertheless looks to him. He lifts his eyes to him. He draws close to him as one who will be found by those who seek him. He's a God who hears 
the prayers of his people. A God who invites us actually to cast our cares and our burdens upon him because he truly cares for us. And herein we discover one of the most critical paradoxical truths in all of scripture of who God has revealed himself to be. He is a God who is absolutely transcendent, yet he is also a God who is eminent. He's a God who is absolutely holy, absolutely other, yet he is a God who's also absolutely near to his people. The apostles themselves beheld and bore witness to this mystery in the Gospels. In fact, just yesterday, my family and I shared some moments in the Meadows Museum, one of the greatest treasures I think you guys have in Dallas, Texas. We went to the campus of SMU. There were hardly anyone there. You could tell that the students have vacated for the Thanksgiving holiday. We went inside of this museum, and we were the only ones there looking at these masterpieces of many Spanish Baroque painters. And on loan were two frescoes. There were actually portions of walls that were hanging on a wall as you entered up the staircase. These frescoes that were from the 12th century, I believe, by an unknown master. And one of them was this scene of the Last Supper. We know it's the Last Supper because it's a 12. There's Christ. There are 12 people. And we don't oftentimes get to know the individual disciples, who is where. But we can always tell in Christian art, when we have a scene of the Last Supper, where the Apostle John is. Because he's always leaning on the chest of Christ. That in this moment of confusion, this moment of tension where Christ has announced that he is going to be betrayed, so many disciples respond with fear and response, but John leans into his master and Lord. And I think it's so fascinating that that moment of John leaning into Christ happens after he beheld the transfiguration. The same one that John trembled before. And fell before as his glory was unveiled and revealed. He still nevertheless is able to, to lean upon his chest and draw near to him. This is the God to whom we pray. He's the God who authored the galaxies yet knows us and loves us and delights in us more than we could ever know or imagine. He is our Father who art in heaven. And this truth is crucial because what we believe to be true about God determines the manner in which we relate to our God. And that brings us to our second point, the posture of prayer. The psalmist goes on to say, Behold, even as the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their masters, as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress, even so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God until he have mercy upon us. Here we discover that the posture of prayer is that of a servant who looks to and waits upon his or her master. To wait is a, a posture of attention, attentiveness, and expectancy. Yet it's also important to note that to wait on the Lord is not a posture of dread here in this psalm. Our God is neither an irritable parent or an overbearing boss. He's a God who provides for his people. A God who we can expect to protect his people. And indeed, this is where that phrase, look to, is used elsewhere in the Psalms to convey that particular meaning. Psalm chapter 104, 
there's this description of the creatures of the earth. These all look to you, the same word, to give them their food in their due season. And when you give it to them, they gather it up. And when you open your hand, they are filled with good things. Psalm 145 says, the eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in their due season. See, as, as servants, we look to the Lord as, as one who looks to the Lord with a posture of readiness, but also a, a posture of willing submission. As servants, we are to dispel the notion that God exists to simply serve our, our desires and, and to simply go into this exchange of our good deeds for his good blessing. Our God is the rightful king of all creation. We must approach him with a spirit of humility, humble hearts that acknowledge his absolute authority over us. We come to our God. Like the ancient Israelite prophet Samuel came before him as a child and said, Speak, Lord. Your servant listens. Yet herein lies the rub. We must rediscover that forgotten art of listening well. What it means to truly listen. We live in a moment when attentiveness and frenzy and sedation are habitually cultivated by endless social media scrolls, by infinite streaming options, by crammed calendars, and I'm very particularly guilty of that last one. Families that are filled, filling their lives with hurry and haste. Too often we are afraid of that sense of existential dread that we feel if we stop and dare to listen to the silence. We become more accustomed to comfortableness with chaos than oftentimes we would care to admit. You see, there's this story in the Old Testament about the prophet Elijah. It's a pretty frantic moment in his own life. He's coming off of the fresh victory on Mount Carmel. He's just exposed the, the failure, the weakness of the false prophets of the false god Baal. Yet now he flees for his life from a wicked king and queen. They, he runs into a wilderness to the very mountain of God. And there as his adrenaline begins to drain and drop and subside, he wallows in sorrow and fear. And in the silence he becomes utterly convinced that he is alone. But then the Lord commands him to stand. Suddenly a wind rushes over the mountain. But God is not in the wind. The earth begins to quake, but God is not in the earthquake. A fire engulfs the mountain, but God is not in the fire. But then Elijah begins to hear this low whisper. And it's in that low whisper that he encounters the Lord. That the Lord reveals himself to him. So too, if we can learn to unclench our white-knuckled striving and our frantic running, if we can learn to stand patiently, even in the midst of the storm, we will discover that there is still yet a still small voice that is ever speaking to us. It is the voice of perfect peace, yet it is a voice of infinite power. It's a voice that echoes through all creation, speaks through the words of Scripture, for it is the voice of the one who spoke all things into existence. And learning to attend to and wait on that voice is what it means to wait upon the Lord. To wait on the Lord is to recognize our absolute need and dependency while clinging to the promise of God's absolute goodness and grace. 
To wait on the Lord is the audacious faith of the woman with the issue of blood reached out to Christ and clung to his robe to reach out to him with an unclean hand with the expectancy and the the desperation that God can heal her and make her whole. Today I want you to know that beyond all the hurry and frenzy of our lives, our God is still speaking. He is still moving. If we look to him, if we draw near to him, if we reach to him in prayer, we will find him. And that leads us to our final point, the hope of prayer. We don't know a lot about the author who wrote this psalm. We don't have a whole lot of context, but we do know that it is a psalm of ascent. It's a psalm of spiritual pilgrimage. And from these final verses, we know that the person who first sang it sang it from a place of pain, a place of sorrow and oppression. And in this way, the psalm is a universal cry for all those who have suffered unjustly. The psalmist reads or says, Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we are utterly despised. Our soul is filled with the scornful reproof of the wealthy and with the despitefulness of the proud. And herein we find a prayer that is both a lamentation and a petition for mercy. It is the prayer of someone who has endured hardship from those who are at ease, a person who has endured loss from those who have much. It's a psalm that is one of the many instances in inspired scripture wherein we're invited to pray our fear, to pray our tears, and to pray them with unfiltered rawness and honesty. We don't have to sanitize our emotions before our God. He can endure our pain, for indeed he has. But make no mistake, how you steward your pain matters. You can allow your pain to plunge you into despair and isolation and bitterness, or you can allow your pain to plunge you into prayer toward a God who alone can give peace to your soul. In this life, we will oftentimes stumble when we incur the the, the presence of suffering in our lives. But we must learn to stumble toward our God rather than away from him. You might ask, well, what about the greedy, the power-hungry, the prideful? What about those who seemingly get away with it all? To this we must know that God has given an answer, and the answer is Jesus. He has answered evil by the cross of Jesus Christ. Through the power of Christ's resurrection, he has defeated even the power of death itself. And the once crucified, now risen one has promised to one day return and make all things new. Where evil will not just be defeated or temporarily postponed, it will be vanquished forever. That is the Christian hope. Even within the prayers and prophecies of the Old Testament of Scripture, we see a glimpse of that hope. We read a reading from the book of Zephaniah today about the day of the Lord. There is a day of justice and judgment. Yeah, oftentimes in Scripture, the day of the Lord is viewed not only as a day to be feared, and it should be feared, but it's also a day to be longed for, yearned for. So yes, the psalmist appeals to the Lord's mercy, but it's clearly the mercy of justice. It is the heartbroken cry of Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. And the one who has promised these things is faithful and sure. He has said, surely I am coming soon. That is the only hope that will not disappoint you. Money will fail you. Pride will fail you. Power will fail you. 
that Jesus will never fail. For Jesus Christ alone is the one who left his glorious dwelling in heaven to come near to us in our pain. He is the supreme sovereign who became the suffering servant for our sake. He is the righteous one who was despised and rejected by men, endured the cross for our sake, and has risen for our salvation. And because now he stands at the right hand of God our Father, he is our high priest. He is our intercessor. And it's because of that glorious truth that we can now come before God's throne in prayer. And it's no longer a throne of fear and dread and judgment. It is a throne of grace where we can find mercy and help in our time of need. Amen? Amen. Allow me to pray a prayer of blessing over you this Sunday morning. Almighty and everlasting God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear your still, small voice. Help us to learn how to seek you, to cry out to you in our pain, in our brokenness. Even if they're broken words, monosyllabic words, sloppy words, incorrect words, Lord, we thank you that we have an intercessor who pleads on our behalf. So, Lord, I pray especially for those that are in pain today, those that are hurting. May they know that you are the God who is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Lord, today, would you be with us and bless us so that we can go forth and bear the image of Christ to a world that is in need of the healing that only he can give. May your blessing be upon this parish. May they be a blessing to East Dallas and to beyond. I pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. David, thank you. We um, met to pray before the service and uh, just had a sense that uh, there was some, I had no idea what Dave was going to preach, um, uh, but isn't it great when a friend of Chris's comes in to preach and Chris can play electric guitar? I mean, more power chords, Lord, that's all I have to say. That's great. One day we're going to have him preach with the guitar and my joy will be complete. Um, What was I saying? Oh, yeah, we meant to pray beforehand and just had a sense that the Lord uh, really wanted to to take a couple of things, just really bring it home. And I don't know if you identified with what David said, but there's a sense of there are some of us here waiting today. And I love, I wrote down um, that the place of waiting isn't a dreadful place, but it's a place where we're protected and provided for. I don't know if you feel like you're in this holding or waiting pattern, um, but we really want to pray for you in a moment. Uh, The other is that there might be uh, a person or a number of people who feel like they're in over their head. Um, And and the, the sense as we were praying is that the Lord sees you, the Lord loves you, and he's with you, and he's gonna lead you through whatever you're going through. Um, and so if that's you, we're going to pray for you in a moment. And then uh, the last was uh, that sense that David said about, um, I can't even read my own writing. Um, oh, yeah, that, um, that place of pain 
is Jesus comes close to us and, and invites us to, from the place of pain, connect to him. I thought my whole life that in order to connect with God, I had to have it all figured out. I mean, I even dress in black to think it might help, right? As a priest, that was a joke, maybe more. Um, but like, it's when we're hurting and we don't have it together that the Lord draws even closer. So there's those three things that David touched on. We just really want to make, make, create an opportunity just to receive. Just going to ask you to stay where you are, seated. And then uh, during communion, there'll be prayer teams at the back who would count as a real honor to, uh, to pray with you if that would be a help. Um, they're trained. They know what they're saying. They know what they're doing. But let's just take a moment. And you may want to open up your hands as you're seated as a sign of receiving. You may not want to. You don't have to. Um, but let, let's just pray and let's just ask the Lord who's both in heaven but also very, very near to us just to move in our hearts. So Lord, for those in our midst who feel like they're in that place of waiting and Lord, it does feel dreadful when we're waiting, waiting, waiting. But your word says that it's also a place where we're protected and provided for. We pray for those in our midst who are waiting even now that you would, by your spirit, provide and protect. We pray for those in our midst, Lord, who are either here or watching online who feel like they're in over their head. Thank you, Lord, that you see them, you love them, you know them, and you know us, and you want to lead us through that. So Holy Spirit, even now, we pray for a quickening in our hearts that we might discern your leadership. And for those of us in pain, thank you that you're not, you don't shy away from pain, as David said, but you draw near and you invite us to bring our pain to you. So come, Holy Spirit. Would you move in us, even now? And would you help us to turn uh, to you in our pain as you draw near to us? Help us, Lord, as a community to be kind, compassionate, patient, and loving, and to represent you, Jesus, to those in our midst who are waiting. Prevent us, Lord, from saying entirely unhelpful things theologically to those who don't need to hear it. And help us, Lord, to be prayerful and attentive. And help us to be quick, if we can, in practical ways, be part of the solution that those in our community might need who are waiting, who are hurting, and who are in over their heads. And let's draw all of our hearts and our prayers together by praying the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.